you so much, Mary. Mm, appreciate it very, very much. I apologize for playing around with the phone up here, but this is just, um, you know, it's kind of a handy tool. I just had a text from my daughter, who was not expecting to be here, and her husband, Jeff, Susie and Jeff, um, that my sister's ex-husband just died, and he was an alcoholic. I mean, he was a true blue. The last time I saw him, he was just, you know, like this, and he's just been that way for years, so... And I really don't think he knew the Lord at all. So uh, I do want to remember them. And then I was want to share uh, a few words from uh, Ken. Ken sent an uh, email to Nancy. He can only get to the place. Um, well, this one doesn't tell. I think it's on Tuesday from 7 to 10 he can get to a place where they have Internet. So here's what he said. It's ex- the Internet is extra slow tonight. took me almost 30 minutes to get on. He said, I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> he said, and now he's in Guyana, by the way. He's in the, and that's a, a, a country on the north coast of South America. And it's, um, there's French Guyana, and then there was British Guyana. And of course, so in, 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 he's on the side where they speak English. The other side's French-speaking. And he's basically in the interior, in the jungle area, working with a pastor there. And he said, my morning starts about 5.30 with the rooster coming by for his wake-up call. No, I do not get up then, but just turn over for a few more minutes of rest. The donkeys come through at any time. Then I hear pastor and his wife sing some choruses. He starts every day that way. That has been a blessing, simple faith, and he is well-versed in the word. About 6, I hear the water pump come on as Brother Jerome pumps water for the morning bath and the rest of water needs. I read for a while and refresh for morning class. I teach for two hours, 9 to 11. We break for lunch and do two more hours starting at 1. I am now teaching how to study the Bible. I take it slow, making sure it makes sense, and I answer questions and so on. Um, He said, I was taking a short video and the card filled up and da-da-da-da. Let's see here. I'll go down. Um... He talks about uh, the Pastor Jerome. He said, I've had some great talks along the way about various topics. Uh, He's open and desires to know the truth. And it looks like I need to return to teach a basic overview of the Bible and and some other things. And anyway, some other things there that was was great. And, And believe it or not, Nancy's listening to me speak right now. We, she expressed an interest... Yes, you did, Nancy, we know, uh, and being able to listen to the services live instead of being able to go on the Internet and hear them, you know, after they're already over with. So I mentioned it to, to uh, Jeff, and well, then, I think it was around Thursday night, we, or Friday, we were over at Jan and Jeff's house for supper, and I showed Jeff, she, t- t- I, didn't, I don't know if I saved that text, but Nancy sends some kind of a text if, my miracle man's going to come through with for me, you know, Jeff. And so I showed it to him. I says, you're on the spot. The heat is on. And he got on the computer, and I'm guaranteeing it wasn't 30 minutes. And he had that thing up and running, and he said, I think we're ready to go. So today's beta testing day. And then once we find she said it's working great. They've been texting back and forth in there, all kinds of stuff, uh, Jeff and Nancy. And uh, uh, it seems to be working great. So now... Jeff had mentioned to me if I could bring my uh, webcam to church, and I said, sure. And I started down the stairs to get it. 
That's about as far as from me to John. And I, <laughs> by the time I got there, I forgot. I was distracted and didn't bring it. Lord willing, if we get Jeff gets that set up, then we can live video stream. Uh, it pro- won't be a great, great camera, but it's something that we'll be able to do, and hopefully that'll you know it'll work out fine. And that that way, those who are at home can't come to church. You're in the hospital, whatever. You can get on the internet. You'll be able to listen live or watch live, one or the other, or both. I don't know. So I just thought I'd mention that. Don't forget March 24th coming up. We have our fellowship with uh, the folks at um, Faith Baptist Church. And uh, looking forward to that. June 23rd, I have Jackie Powell scheduled to come back. I know you'll look forward to that. Everybody just loved her and her presentation on uh, the, the distributing the bilingual Jewish scriptures, Hebrew scriptures, and so we're we're looking forward to having Jackie back. Anything you want to say? Couldn't be any quicker. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll look forward to that, and it'll it'll get here quick. And then I got one confirmed speaker for our conference coming up September 29, October 2nd. Uh, Al Williams, anybody that's heard Al speak, you know, he speaks with forcefulness and authority and clear voice. And so you will, you'll know Al and he's, he's going to be great. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I never even thought about, I was trying to mention to Tracy, well, we got to come up with whoever, some speakers, you know, and he mentioned Al Williams and I said, there we go. <laughs> he hadn't entered my mind, but I was greatly in favor of that. So there's one down and we'll be working on the rest. Okay, and grateful for all you visitors here with us this morning. Glad to have you here. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're still working our way through Matthew's uh, presentation of the Lord's Sermon, which we commonly know as the Sermon on the Mount. It is a key sermon. Some consider it, you know, the, the, the message of the Bible, the message of the Gospels. You don't get this. You don't get anything. And this is just a, it is an amazing, amazing message. Really central to the kingdom gospel. Now, I mentioned last week, I titled the sermon, The Woolly Wolf and the Bad, Bad Tree. Well, I had to name today's sermon, The Woolly Wolf and the Bad, Bad Tree also. So last week's was part one. Today's going to be part two. This passage is just so overlap, I couldn't get it all together. So we're going to hit some highlights hopefully here today. And hopefully we'll zero in on what the Lord is really trying to teach us regarding false prophets and these bad trees. So... Matthew chapter 7, and let's just begin with verse 13, and let's just read several verses there. In verse 13, he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And you'll note we said there, the life. I hope you put one of the little carrot marks there. And take note, it's the life, the life. By the way, if you would just take the life and either underline it or put a little circle around it, 
And then skip down to verse 21, where he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, you go down there to enter the kingdom of heaven, and and you underline that, and you draw a line between those two and connect them. Because entering into the life is entering into the kingdom of the heavens. So that's the topic we're dealing with here. This is the subject matter at hand. And then he says, few there be that find it. Very few. Many are looking, but few actually find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Several things I want to reiterate that we talked about and then cover this morning regarding what he's talking about here. We made mention of the fact that the gate for entering the kingdom is a very narrow gate and few people find it. We don't have a picture here of a big, huge crowd of people gathered out in front of two gates, the wide one and the narrow one, trying to decide which one to go in. What he's presenting to us is that most are going down the broad way. The few that enter in at the straight gate, not only are they few, but it's going to end up being few that actually enter in to the kingdom. He says, because, in verse 14, verse 14, because the gate's straight and the way is narrow. And we said that that word narrow means a tight, constricted, or an afflicted way. Now, one of the, you know, one of the things I read that really opened my eyes, and I wish I would have brought my book with me. I have a book that is written or drawn by an architect, and he gave some of the pictures of the houses and the way they were constructed. And if you've looked at anything concerning manners and customs of the biblical lands, and you know how houses were constructed, they were basically um, a big square with... a row. In other words, it went like this, 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 and in the middle was an open courtyard, open to the sky. And so in that center courtyard, it was, you know, obviously a gathering place, but it was, uh, there would, might be a, a well there, and there would be drains and all these sorts of things, and the water could run out, and, you know, it was all, all well cared for. But my point is, is that you know, that was a center focal point of the house, and you entered then all the other rooms around from that center courtyard. Now, the point of all that is simply this. The way into the house was a narrow door, and it was a narrow passageway. 
It wasn't designed to be a grand entrance. Houses were built for security and protection. And so it was a narrow hallway that opened up into this courtyard. That's the kind of picture you're looking at here with this narrow gate and narrow way as opposed to the broad gate and the broad way. And in view of all that then, once you are on the way, now, you know, he says few that find, there will be few that find it. There are few that enter into the narrow way because most are on the broad way. Then he enters into a word of warning, a word of warning that is specifically directed to those on the narrow way. Not those on the broad way, but the ones on the narrow way. He's telling them, you beware or mindful of false prophets. Why? Because once you have entered in the narrow gate and you're on the narrow way that leads to the life of the kingdom, which is, of course, yet future, yet to happen, yet to be manifested, he said there will be false prophets along the way. And he said they're going to come to you in sheep's clothing. And we made note of the fact that false prophets come to you. True believers don't go out looking for them. The false prophets come to you. And they come in sheep's clothing with a purpose in mind, and that's deception, to lead you astray to get you off of the easy path of Christianity, to get you off onto the broad way, to get you comfortable on the flow of where the rest of the world of Christianity is going. See, my brand of Christianity, when I think of it, is, is it's pretty narrow-minded. If you, if, if you get accusing, uh, accused of, or if I get accused of, of being narrow-minded, I just say, that's right. Very narrow-minded. The teaching of the scriptures on the way to get into the kingdom is a very narrow-minded way. There is a specific way to go. Now, is there freedom in Christ? There most certainly is. When you find yourself, as we saw in Matthew chapter 11, under the yoke of the Lord, that is, if you join up as a team of oxen, the Lord's in one side and you're on the other side, he makes the way easy. And that's what we talked about all through this message here. How do we live this kind of life? How do we walk on this narrow way and be successful at it? By yoking up with the Lord, by walking in his spirit. But the danger is, is to beware of the false prophet. The one who's, beware, be mindful of, look out for, watch out for, whatever, the false prophet. Now, there are more than just false prophets. Um, and over in Matthew chapter 24, if you just turn over a few pages in verse 24... In the Olivet Discourse, he warns the Jews there. He says, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. Well, the false Christ is the same word over here that we're talking about. Pseudo-prophets, pseudo-Christ. 
Then if you'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13, and over there we find false apostles. He says in verse 12, But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Well, that's pretty much the language he uses of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. They change their appearance. They make themselves look like the true disciple with the motive of deceiving you and leading you astray. Then if you'll turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2. Now, we took a look at this last week, but we'll take note of it again. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, there are false teachers, pseudo-teachers. He says in verse 1, but there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Well, that sounds like what's going to happen to the false prophets. Destruction. Ruin at the end. Now, beginning in uh, verse 16 then, here's where he gets into the bad, bad tree. He talks about the good tree and the evil tree. And he says in verse 16, Ye shall know them by their fruits in the King James Version. The word by there is not your normal word for by. It's apa, A-P-O, and it really means from. So some have translated this, From their fruits ye shall know them. In other words, as a result of what they produce, that is what you're going to know them by. Now, what is the fruit? He tells us there, men don't gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles. There's only one conclusion, and I'm going to bypass you know, several things to get to the point here. That is primarily doctrine. Not so much their conduct and the way they handle themselves as it is the way they handle the word. Look at, if you would, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Of course, it's always wise to bring in the context of these things. And, of course, Isaiah is writing to a nation that has departed far from the Lord. They're not walking with the Lord. They don't know the Lord. And in verse, verse 20... He says, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And then if you'll look over at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 9, look at a few verses here. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. And he says, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats or foods, 
which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Don't be carried about, he says, by strange doctrines. Second John chapter, uh, well, Second John nine. Not, there's no chapter there, no chapter one. Just Second John nine, and we'll read a couple verses here. In verse nine, he says, "There, whosoever transgresses, transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God." Now, you remember we mentioned last week concerning these, the summation that the Lord gave was, I never knew you. He has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Son, uh, the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, this teaching, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now that's some pretty strong language. That if you are not abiding in the true doctrine, then he says, don't, don't fellowship with them because you are partaking. And that word partake is the idea, you know, you're communing and fellowshipping with that person. Don't partake of their evil doctrine. And then also, if you'll turn over back, well, let's go back to uh, Titus. And then we're going to work our way back to Matthew. So Titus chapter 1. And notice what, uh, what he says there concerning an elder, an overseer, a pastor, one who has charge and the qualifications. He says that they are to be holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, sound teaching, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Who are the gainsayers? Those who oppose the faithful word, the false prophets, the false Christ, the false teachers. Verse 10, he says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Oh, yeah. I brought my book back. I want to cover something here about the false prophet. Now, you remember I mentioned this is the Didoc. It's a very, very early Christian document dated somewhere between 70 A.D. and 150 A.D. So this overlaps at least with the Apostle John, who was living at that time, possibly. Or it could be as late as 150 very near the, the teaching that was going about by the apostles. And this is what he had to say concerning those who come to teach, those who hold that responsibility. It said, now, and of course, this document here, this was um, assumed to be a writing that was a sort of like a confirmation thing. They had to study this and preparation for baptism and, and being received into the assembly of the, of the church. 
And here's what he said. If any should come and teach you all these things, now he's mentioned several things already at this point, that have just been mentioned above, welcome him. But if that uh, the teacher himself goes astray and teaches a different teaching that undermines all this, do not listen to him. However, if his teaching contributes to righteousness and knowledge of the Lord, welcome him as you would the Lord. Now concerning the apostles and prophets, deal with them as follows in accordance with the rule of the gospel. Let every apostle who comes to you be welcomed as if he were the Lord. But if he is not to stay for more, but, uh, but he is not to stay for more than one day, unless there is need, in which case he may stay another. But if he stays three days, you know, he's a false prophet. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. You know, rule they laid down there. Three days, and buddy, you you haven't got the truth. You're gone. And when the apostle leaves, he is to take nothing except bread until he finds his next night's lodging. Wait, can you imagine today's missionaries doing that? But if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. That's a strong test, isn't it? How, how far would Christianity go today if we, everybody stopped asking for money? I mean, all, that's why we're all afraid to sign up for anything on the Internet or subscribe to something because as soon as you do, you're going to start getting stuff in the mail, right? Wanting a contribution. Everybody wants it. Also, he says, do not test or evaluate any prophet who speaks in the Spirit, for every sin will be forgiven, but this sin will not be forgiven. By the way, and so in the context of all this, they're experiencing... The things we're talking about here in this passage. False prophets were coming to their assemblies and they were teaching their people how to distinguish or discern between who's telling the truth and who is not. So he goes on to say, however, not everyone who speaks in the spirit is a prophet, but only if he exhibits the Lord's ways. By his conduct, therefore, will the false prophet and the prophet be recognized. Furthermore, any prophet who orders a meal in the spirit shall not partake of it. If he does, what do you think? He's a false prophet. Do you see what they're guarding against? When these people would come by, and you know in, in that day they were riding a circuit or walking a circuit, and they traveled... And they were expected to be allowed into a house to teach. And he's setting up a guard that if these guys are out looking for filthy lucre, and they and this is the rule he lays down, he said, you just send them on their way. If he says, fix me a meal, then you know he's a false prophet. If he says, fix a meal or provide a gift for others, that's okay. Now, I'm just telling you that because he tells us this later on. If any prophet teaches the truth, yet does not practice what he teaches, he is a false prophet. Ooh, I feel that puts you on the spot, doesn't it, Jerry? You teach, you better practice it. Any prophet proven to be genuine who does something with a view to portraying in a worldly manner 
the symbolic meaning of the church, provided that he does not teach you to do all that he himself does, is to be judged by you, for his judgment is with God. Is not to be judged by you, I'm sorry. His judgment is with God. Besides, the ancient prophets also acted in a similar manner. But if anyone should say in the spirit, give me money or anything else, do not listen to him. But if he tells you to give on behalf of others who are in need, then don't judge him. And he goes on. I mean, it just goes on with things like that about discernment over who's a true prophet, who is not. Well, here we're finding the same thing. In Matthew chapter um, 15, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9. Actually, in verse 7, you get the whole context. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We're not talking about people who are not worshipers of God, who do not speak the language we speak. They say, praise the Lord. They say, as we saw in the Old Testament there, as the Lord lives. I mean, they go through all the motions. They've got it all down. But they don't teach the same doctrines. He says, in vain, they worship me. It's fruitless and has no purpose or value in it, the worship that they give. So what about the good tree and the bad tree and the fruit? Well, he says a tree is known by the fruit it produces. He also says, men don't go to a thorn tree in order to get a grape or to a thistle to get a fig. So why would you go to a false prophet when you want the truth? But that's exactly what's happening. Men go to false prophets, false teachers all the time, and they're not being fed the truth. So the end result of all that then, he says, every good tree or a, a good, it bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. What is a corrupt tree? Well, let's, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 13 for a moment. Now, you might know these, this chapter. It contains the parables concerning the kingdom. And if you look at verse 47, we have the parable concerning the dragnet. And he says there, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. How many times, if you went fishing and you threw in a net, you know, 
and, and you pulled up a big bunch of fish, would you find a, quote, bad fish? <laughs> In other words, they weren't rotten fish. They were fish of the wrong kind. That's what the word here, though, means, cast the bad away, is the same word over here in chapter 7 that's translated corrupt. It is corrupt, bad, or rotten in the sense that it has no value for the fishermen. So when they bring the net in, they take all the bad fish out and get rid of them. They keep the good. The same way over here, in beginning, beginning in verse 24 of chapter 13, with the wheat and the tares. At the harvest, they don't keep everything that the wheat produces. They separate the wheat from the chaff. In the same way over here with the false prophet and the true prophet. The true prophet, which produces the good fruit, teaches the good fruit, remains. But he says concerning that false prophet which brings forth evil fruit, he says in verse 19, if he doesn't bring forth good fruit, it is hewn down and cast into the fire. <coughs> now you'll notice something. He didn't throw the fruit in the fire. He threw the tree in the fire. He doesn't throw the false doctrine in the fire, but the one giving the false doctrine. The false prophet is cast into the fire. And you'll notice that word good. Good fruit. So others translate this as bring forth excellent fruit. Fine fruit, ideal fruit, or um, beautiful. Or some make a combination of those words. Ideally or excellent or something, you know, some combination of the, of the two. The point of this is the fruit has value. It doesn't mean intrinsically good in and of itself. It means bearing fruit that has value to it. Or as this word could be used in other contexts, to mean it has excellence, it has beauty. That's the kind of good fruit. And if he doesn't bring forth, he says, that kind of fruit, then that tree is cut down. It's not the fruit in and of itself, but the tree. Look back just a few chapters in Matthew, would you? Go back to chapter 3. Now, you'll notice in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in verse 5, it says, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. They were all going out to hear John preach the gospel concerning the kingdom. And then in verse 6, they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 7, but, but when he saw the Pharisees 
And Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So now he does in verse 8, he turns around and warns him. He says, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. Verse 9, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Don't think that your Jewish heritage is sufficient. Verse 10. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Fruit production tells what kind of tree it is. If it's bearing apples, then you know it's an apple tree. If it's bearing plums, then you know it's a plum tree. If the prophet or the disciple is bearing good fruit, then you know what kind of disciple he is. We're not talking about whether he's a saved individual or an unsaved person. That's not the issue. It's the kind of person that's being revealed here. And the wrong kind, the corrupt kind, the bad, the rotten, is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, he says in verse 20, by their fruits ye shall know them. What kind of person they are, that is. Whether they be good or whether they be evil, rotten, bad. So what is he saying to us then? What's the, what's the evidence? What is all this evidence that he produces concerning the good and the evil tree and the false prophet and the true prophet and going down the narrow path as opposed to the wide path and entering in at the narrow gate as opposed to the wide gate? What is he trying to teach us? We saw one thing back in verse Verses 13 and 14, we saw the end result with the wide way is destruction and ruin. But those who willingly follow the narrow way, he says, find life. They will enter or it leads unto the life. That is, as we noted earlier, the life of the kingdom. Not everyone is going to get to enter into that life. And so the conclusion then is, is that you better watch out for the bad, bad tree and the woolly wolf because he's out to get you. He's out to deceive you. He's out to lead you down the wrong path. And I can assure you, the wide way feels very comfortable. I've traveled that way before. It's not the way to go. Feels good. But it's not the way that leads to the life. The way that leads to the life of the kingdom is a narrow, constricted way. So it's our duty then to be mindful of the false prophets.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've blessed us with your word. We thank you for this message of this sermon. We thank you for the piercing truths and the ministry of your spirit to open our hearts, to open our eyes, and to teach us, Father, those things that you have for those who are your disciples. Those who have made the commitment to follow you. Those who have said they are willing to join the yoke with you and travel that path. Those who've said, you are master, and we are the slaves, and walk in obedience. Lord, I pray that you will give us wisdom and discernment to understand the evil times in which we live. How I pray that you would descend upon this body of believers, this assembly, even this morning, right now to give us that eye of understanding. Clear our minds, I pray, so that the Holy Spirit can work in our hearts and that we can give ourselves over unto you in true commitment. Lord, I pray that you'll give us knowledge and understanding about the body and how that we are members one of another and that we are here to encourage each other along the way. to lift a helping hand to those who need help. Lord, let us be sensitive to those things, and we'll give you all the thanks and the praise for what you accomplish in the heart of each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.